culture changes, but culture still continues to be influential in our lives. That becomes the great challenge that uh, I think the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world culture comes around us and we swim in that river. Welcome to the Between Two Trees podcast, a podcast about shifting the conversation about marriage in this cultural moment. This podcast is completely listener-supported, so please subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and your family, and even donate if you feel led. We're grateful you've joined the conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Between Two Trees podcast, where we are shifting the conversation of marriage. And uh, we're in episode two now. It is just before 3 p.m. Uh, on a Monday, and I'm back at the loft in Dana Point with uh, with my man, Kurt. Hey, it's so fun to be here, and uh, it's a little warm again, and uh, I'm looking forward to fall really beginning to come into full swing in Southern California and, and get a little cooler weather. Yeah, so is my wife. Where uh, the, uh, the home internally takes a transition from summer, easy breezy, the light candle smells, to now the orange candles are coming out, and we have a little bit more of the light brown, the orange. It's the shift that happens in the home now that we're entering into fall. So. Yeah. Did you notice the white pumpkin on the porch as yeah. you came in? So that that is our de- decoration for the fall right now. I love it. I love it. Well, for everyone who's listening, uh, we're glad that you're here. And I just wanted to to start uh, the episode. Um, Kurt, you said something to me in conversation a, a little bit ago that that really impacted me. And And you said, conversation is a lost discipline and grace. Hmm. Yeah, isn't it interesting? We, we've become often as culture, as a culture, as well as uh, in our own relationships, uh, superficial. Yeah. And uh, we, we, speak of, uh, we speak of what we do uh, more than who we are. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it sat with me because I thought when you told that to me, I immediately thought back to this moment we were sitting uh, with a handful of friends from different walks of life, um, but we were sitting together and people were reflecting on super grateful that everyone's here. We're glad that we have friends, but we're, we're not too close. Like we're not, we're not close where it's weird, you know? And I remember yeah. hearing that and I, you know, and maybe it's just me just because I like reflecting a little bit more, but there was this moment of like, I almost felt like by myself, like I raised my hand up, I guess I'm one of the weird ones because, <laughs> because I care deeply about being quote unquote weird, being vulnerable, yeah. of being, of going there in conversation of not just talking about, what we do, um, but but who we are and why we do what we do. And, yeah, Christian, please don't yeah. get weird on this uh, <laughs> podcast, okay? So, uh, no, it's it's really true, you know. Uh, and and the other side is instead of being superficial, and I guess there is a superficiality to it, but on on social media and then face to face and uh, wherever we go, dialogue becomes replaced with isolation, debate, mm-hmm. argumentation, and. And, and even aggression, you know, mm-hmm. we get to that place that I, I'm just going to throw my stuff out there and, and you respond to it and we bounce off of each other instead of really having conversation and dialogue. Yeah, and it happens all the time. And it, it feels like there's a, there's a capacity like in the workplace and you know, there's networking, super important because you're getting to meet new people. So those quick facts of what do you do and who are you are super helpful. But I, I've just felt like that's as far as it goes with in so many of conversations with, with my friends, with my family. Like that that's it. That's that's the depth. And when it comes to marriage, it it's almost like then in that 
deeper conversation of why we get married in the first place is kind of one that I just have by myself or I rarely then have with like those few people in my life, which for those, you know, who you are, I love you. And those conversations form who I am and how I approach marriage. And it's just so rare. But even, even when it comes to marriage, that, that idea of becoming combatant with each other, we, we yep. want to argue over what, what and how you do marriage, yep. you know, what's the right organizational, you know, what, what are the roles of husband, wife, men, women, yeah. uh, who can get married? How long is marriage supposed to last? Yeah. Uh, did you do it the right way? Did you do it the, the wrong, wrong way? way. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it seems that so often in our conversation that there's more heat than there is light. Mm. Yeah. You, you shared with me a, uh, a little bit ago, this um, Charles Spurgeon, who wrote that, uh, that when we're talking about the theology of marriage, that it's, it's uh, like a bulldog. <laughs> and I'm probably butchering quoting this, but it's it's not something that we have to defend. It's almost just kind of let let the the dog off the leash and it will defend itself. And that that we can just enter into the conversation present and sharing who we are and asking the questions that we're all asking, just only some willing to share and otherwise not just defend who we are just so we feel accepted in, in, in the conversation. So that, that, that was so, so beautiful because it's really true. Spurgeon was actually talking about the gospel during his era and how to defend mm. the gospel. And he said, the gospel mm. is so powerful, it doesn't need to be defended. Yeah. The gospel is like a bulldog. All you do is reach down, unleash the call of the gospel, yeah. will defend itself. Yeah. But for marriage, and, and where we're at, is the idea that uh, marriage doesn't need to be defended. Uh, it's right. not a bulldog. It's it's much yeah. more elegant than that. It's it's the beauty of marriage. And if we can elevate marriage to God's design, yeah. to the sense of mystery and holiness and beauty, yeah. uh, it'll draw the world to it. So yeah, it, I love that. That's, that's a great reminder. Yeah. And this is the type of conversation that we want to have here. And so just to open it up, the, the conversation that I think is pretty fundamental to the first season of this podcast is why do we get married? Mm. Like, why? Why Why marriage? Why does it exist? Why do we do it? Why? Yeah. And for me personally, as we kind of enter to this conversation, being weird, yes. uh, being, and just where uh, we can just be honest, is I, I remember um, like growing up that, that marriage just kind of seemed like, I keep coming back to this this quote that I've kind of synthesized my all my thoughts down to, but that marriage is something that's just kind of God approved uh, for, for followers uh-huh, of Jesus, uh-huh. that, that, that marriage is something that's just kind of God approved versus God designed. It's something that we, I have my dream and I think that this girl or this guy, in my case, I thought that Mackenzie was just stunning out of this world. She sang Broadway and I loved that. We love dancing. We get along really well. We have these future dreams and I really would love to have sex at some, let's just get married, let's build our life together and live happy lives. And I think there's a beautiful dreaming of that space of building this life together mm-hmm. and it's in- innocent. But I also think it was, this wasn't a conversation of, Ooh, wait, why are we getting married? And it wasn't, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but up until this key premarital counseling weekend that we had, that up until that point, that our mindset, the paradigm why we're getting married was, if I'm being honest, was pretty self-centered on my end. Mm. It was, was just focused on, this will make me feel like I have a companion. This will make me feel not alone. This will make me feel like I'll have someone to laugh with. This will feel, which again, I don't, I don't think it's all bad, but it's, it's really self-focused. 
It's um, it's definitely not the starting point. Right. And and uh, I've told you before, uh, Christian, that. Uh, in our premarital counseling, when we work with couples, mm-hmm. uh, one of the questions that we ask at the very beginning is, uh, and, and this is usually with those who are Christ followers, and, yeah. and, and both uh, those who are and those who are not, but the question is, why, in this culture, why yeah. get married? Yeah. I mean, why why not just live together? There, there are options that uh, traditionally there haven't been mm. in uh, in history, and and so you can you cannot lose status, you cannot lose respect. Or credibility, uh, reputation, uh, by just living together. So sure. why get married? So why why did you come to us for premarital counseling? Sure. You know why are you planning a wedding that's going to cost you or your parents tens of thousands of dollars? You know mm. uh, why get married? Uh, mm. I think that is a legitimate question to to ask ourselves. Which, if I off the cuff, my first response to that, which was an answer from myself in the early days of dating and when we were first engaged is because of the moment. It was because of the moment that we'll be able to capture on with mm-hmm. in video, you know, so we got to pay for the VR for for sure so we can retell yeah. that story and capture that moment, which again is good, is is a is a great thing and we watch that video and it just reminds us of that beautiful day. But it's almost like that was the end point. Mm. It was we're doing this for that moment where everyone's coming together, we get the, you know, just love and affirmation that you two need to be together. This is amazing. Go live a happy life. You know, and and again, traditionally, you know, it was the idea that uh, we gain uh, economic or social status from this, or yeah. we gain the privilege uh, to have sex without shame. Uh, at least it, it, it appeared that way in in culture, and sure. and so there were a lot of reasons culturally that uh, that that people would get married, but. But again, there's got to be something deeper than that because those things, when they begin to fade, fade quickly. Yeah. And the and and the fading is is detrimental. Yeah. Which which is why I wanted to kind of start the episode with this question of because I'm not here saying, hey, culture, the world, like stop doing that. You should be more like me or doing the way that I. Because I'm saying I was part of that and am part of that and am influenced by culture and that narrative of how culture says marriage needs to be or the easy way to feel fulfilled. But again, there's, it was life changing for me and our premarital where that mentality shift that there is a greater why to being married and that that's not something that we need to go out into a forest and find for the first time, right? That, that the answer to that, it's actually been something that's been talked about for a really long time since the beginning. And can you help help us unpack that this has actually been a historical conversation? Yeah, it, it really is interesting because culture changes, but culture still continues to be influential in our lives. Sure. It continues to penetrate our, the church and the way that we think as a Christian community. Uh, that becomes the, the, the great challenge that uh, I think the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, uh, uh, you know, don't be confused to this world, but be mm. transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. And that is the sense that, uh, that it's so easy that the world culture comes around us and we swim in that river. And so where our mind, our heart is saturated with that. And, and that's been, that's been historical. And so this idea of, uh, of really thinking through the conversation of marriage and shifting that conversation has been the approach of, uh, of of the biblical view of marriage for all of history. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing to to think of that that uh, 
that Jesus, when he answered the question about marriage, there was a conversation, a cultural, contemporary cultural expression of what was going on in marriage when Jesus was asked uh, about the question of divorce. Mm. And, uh, and, and really the Pharisees and those who were really kind of setting him up at that point, sure. they, were, they were accepting the cultural mode. They were taking uh, both the Jewish cultural mode and, and even some of the, uh, uh, the Roman mode and said, okay, what and who are you going to be loyal to? to? You know, what are you going to say about marriage? Yeah. And, uh, and Jesus shut him down. Jesus basically asked the question, this this to the Pharisees, those who are supposed to know the scripture, know the law. He says, don't you remember what God said? Don't you remember from the very beginning Mm. what God said? And and he takes them back to Genesis 2.24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm. That's the design. Can you help us understand that a little bit more? That there's a myriad of ways that Jesus could have answered that question, but being set up by the Pharisees, to a lose-lose conversation of uh, either was going to say, yeah, you can't get divorced, and and then, oh, now suddenly divorce is okay, and that would have been the wrong answer, or saying that, no, marriage is actually, we're going to redefine it to be this thing, which all the people of that day said, uh, I don't want I don't want to be married if that's the way that we do marriage. But instead he shifted the conversation to back to Genesis. Why, why was that the verse? Why was that the place that he shifted the conversation to? Well, it's really interesting because not only does Jesus use that tactic, the Apostle Paul does, uh, mm-hmm. when he writes about uh, marriage in the New Testament, he's doing it in the in the culture that is highly uh, patriarchal. I mean, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very male-centered culture, uh, and he, he goes so far as to say, husbands, love your wife. Wife. <laughs> Wives. That's always a tough one. Husbands, <laughs> love your wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's never said. That's mm. never said in that culture. There were men who loved their wives, sure. uh, but nobody ever instructed from uh, the perspective of what and how to have a, a, a marriage that is uh, fulfilling, a marriage that is correct, a marriage that is desirable to mm. say, this is how you do it. Love your wife. And so now the, there's, a, there's this huge shift. And the Apostle Paul also says, hey, go back to the beginning because it's a mystery how this all happens. Uh, go back to the to the beginning, Genesis two twenty four, and uh, and and fulfill that because that verse is also used yeah. by Moses when the people of Israel are entering into the Promised Land. Mm. Probably the most entitled, potentially the most entitled culture that has ever lived, because they're moving into a land where they are going to have all of the best of what Canaan could be, mm. and they didn't have to do it. Uh, Moses says, you will be moving into a land that, uh, that houses you did not build, vineyards you did not plant. You'll be, you'll be having all of the best of these things, and you will feel entitled. And he mm-hmm. says, let me remind you who you are. And he takes them back through the Pentateuch, all the way back to Genesis. It reminds them who they are as the people of God mm-hmm. and who they are as those who come from Adam and Eve, who were created in the garden. And this idea, again, of what marriage is going to look like, because... Those in that entitled next generation who grew up in that new culture, mm. they were going to be tempted to marry into that culture mm. and to change what it was that God had as a design for marriage. So, Kurt, can you help me understand something a, a little bit more? So, if Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, going back to Moses, when they talked about marriage, they went back to Genesis 2.24. We're talking about now in culture that there's a little bit of a, of a loss of 
understanding that God is the designer of marriage. And in this conversation, we're going back to Genesis 2.24. Why is that verse so important? Because in, in my mind, I've heard the, vo- the verse in premarital. I've heard the verse at every wedding I've ever been to. But in my mind, it, for so long, or for a good portion of my life, I should say, I heard that verse just being, yeah, it's just how life goes. One day, you're going to leave your family, find somebody, and start your own family. Like, it's just how the world works is how I interpreted it. But there's so much more to it, and that's why Jesus, Paul, Moses pointed back to it. What are we missing? What, what else is there? Yeah, I do think that, uh, that as we look at uh, the, 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 the narrative of those three stories where uh, each of those individuals referred back or initiated the Genesis 2.24 for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Mm. They're addressing a culture that is having conversation about marriage and about relationships that, uh, uh, that really is causing them to be off, off balance, mm. uh, whether that's uh, talking to a couple, to a community, a church, mm. or to the culture at large, when you look around and you say, well, I, th- I think the wheels are falling off, mm. or, or you might be at the very beginning of it, and, and you want to say, how do, we, how do we make this thing work in the best possible way? Yeah. And so shifting the conversation is to say, let's go back to the design and what was the purpose of the design. Mm. So in Genesis 2.24, it's not only historical, but it's theological. Mm. And the two of those really come together in the story of creation where God creates Eden Mm. as the place for human flourishing to be best experienced. Mm. And then in the midst of that, he places the man and the woman, and he brings them together in marriage, which is the safest, best place for flourishing of relationships. The two become one. And that's not to eliminate the idea of if, if, if a single person is listening to this, yeah. because ultimately that expression that is, that is began in Genesis 2, this is in relationship, the safest place to be is pursuing unity, to pursue oneness together. Yep. That is expressed ultimately in the people of God, the body we of Christ. Body. Yes. That, yeah. that, that we're, even in our differences, our differences in giftedness and, and, and culture and gender, all of those things come together and, and are appealed by Paul and the apostles and Jesus himself for the, the sense of unity, of oneness. Mm-hmm. This is recognize that you are one, not just try hard to be one, yeah. but yeah. recognize that you are one. And so that's the idea all three of those personalities are saying, listen, if, if you're struggling as a culture, if you're struggling as a community, if you're struggling as a couple, or you're trying to set the pattern for a new relationship, go back to the beginning, look at where it was designed to be, and then learn from that. Learn from how God intended relationships to flourish. Mm -hmm. It's, It's, it's interesting because in that, in that setting, the next statement is, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed, because nakedness is how we get to the safest place of relationships flourishing. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability, yeah. openness, expressing yeah. our brokenness, yeah. and the only place that that is safe is in a nurturing, flourishing relationship that God designed from the beginning. Wow. Wow. I, I'm seeing a pretty, from from what you have said is, the design of marriage by God is so that we could experience the goodness of himself and that we would, as a implication, as a result of that, flourish. And that he designed marriage for that purpose, for us to experience 
flourishment and to ultimately experience more of himself as the creator created marriage, us then experiencing that design of marriage connects us to the Lord himself and to the eternal narrative. And it's interesting, before we got married, uh, we did this premarital session with our um, with some really close family friends of ours, and we read this this book um, by Francis and Lisa Chan. And that weekend, there was a part of the book that said that your purpose going into marriage under God's design with that paradigm, with that understanding, is to prepare your spouse before the day they stand before Jesus in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it rocked me. I kind of get emotional thinking about it right now. That that that, that is why we get married, is so that we can we can partner with I can partner with Mackenzie so that she can experience the flourishing and the goodness of who God is. Hmm. Versus before that point where it was just I have some dreams and I want to start a company and my family, I didn't like how they parented this way. And I, I would like that car when we get older and maybe one day we could do this vacation together. And that was the extent of flourishing that under that non God designed lens under that paradigm. And so for anyone who's, who's listening to this, that is a Kurt, you're saying go back in scripture constantly uh, people say, remember, would you remember the goodness of God or where he showed up so that we can live in with that paradigm, with that perspective today, right now. And so for myself and for everyone who is listening, I, I challenge us to ask the question, as we're seeing the distinction between marriage as culture and the world designs it versus marriage as God has designed it. There's a choice there. And may I ask the question, how good can marriage get without God? And if your answer to that question is, I don't know if it's really that great, then keep listening. I'm going to keep unfolding it, keep the conversation going. We've we're kind of reached our next checkpoint of God-designed marriage, and it's good. What does that mean? There's so many implications of that. So we're going to continue with episodes to come. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Kurt. It's great to be with you, my friend. Christian, let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. We'll see you next time, everybody.